This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Now, we're going to be covering something very interesting. This is going to be a little small niche audience topic. Only 8 million people suffer from this. So this isn't 10 people in Kalamazoo, Michigan, okay? 8 million people suffer from essential tremor. And this is one of our client guest interviews where we have a person on the street. Stephen Smith is going to join us. He is a person who is not of the industry. He is a person who has received essential tremor treatment, ET treatment. And Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, doctor, for having me. Appreciate it. So it's going to be fun. The reason we do this is, you know, everybody here at Core Brain Journal knows we want to talk with the public. We think the dialogue needs to go both ways. This isn't just the pros talking to the public. This is the public talking back about, hey, here's something you need to know from my perspective. And Stephen joins us from New York. We're going to talk more about that. So let me introduce him very briefly, without stealing his thunder. He's a very, very interesting guy. So he has a story as he's an active golfer who was on the verge of losing his ability to play golf due to his uncontrollable shaking called essential tremor. And Steve Smith is his real name. He's not being anonymous here. He owns a small technology reseller outfit. He's been dealing with ET, a very common but little-known condition for over 10 years. Essential Tremor impacts his quality of daily life as he struggles to simply drink a cup of coffee, hold a screwdriver, or type on the computer. Now, folks, if you know anybody that has ET, we need to demystify this, and I hope that you will listen to Stephen and talk to him, I mean, listen to him, listen to us talk, and shoot his information to anybody that you know who does have ET or a neurologist you know that might be interested in treating it. This is really hot, interesting information. So what happens last year, Stephen's symptoms got much worse. And his play deteriorated to the point where he just couldn't compete any longer. He just couldn't hold the golf club. So one year ago in March, he underwent a non-invasive procedure approved by the FDA. This is not snake oil out in Idaho. And it was a, a very important thing. And suddenly his hand wasn't shaking any longer, I think. I got your attention on that one. So with that, let's go on and talk a little more about what 8 million people can do if they think about the innovative technology that's taking place in mind science with Essential Tremor. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit more. I mean, that was a quick picture of how you got interested in it, but if you want to elaborate on that a little bit and then how you got connected with the people that treated you and what your thought process was about that, please. Yeah, sure. I would love to. So first of all, kudos for you and, and the rest of the team for calling more attention to this. To your point, there are millions that have it in the United States. It's 3% of the population in the United States. So it's not an insignificant. I mean, one of us know someone that has essential tremors. So fairly common. And um, in my case, it is hereditary. It was passed down by my mother. She's 91 and still going strong. Thank you very much. But she mm -hmm. has them. 
I have them, my brother has them, my sister has them. And what are them? I mean, when you get north of 50 years old, they start to show themselves. So they're kind of latent in your system and your body. And then you'll start to see symptoms where you just cannot control. It's an involuntary movement of your hands. You can't control movements at times. And they are particularly heightened in stressful times. So I am a sales professional. Get in front of a group of people, hand me a microphone. And there's a little heightened stress that kicks in, and all of a sudden your hands start shaking. You get on the golf course on the first tee or over a three-foot putt. And in that situation, the tremor would show itself a little bit more pronounced than normal. But, but even normal course of your life, whether it be cutting a piece of meat, you're out with a client, and all of a sudden your hands are shaking or drinking a cup of coffee. So in my case, it showed itself at 50. I'm 62 now, and it got to the point where every year – it got progressively worse. And I was absolutely blessed that the FDA approved this procedure in 2016 to treat essential tremors in a non-invasive way. And non-invasive is the, is the key word here, right? There are methodologies and technologies that are used to treat it, but they're very invasive. But in short, I found myself on the couch one Christmas ago watching the six o'clock news and the news report comes on and says, hey, for all you people that suffer from essential tremors, there's reason for hope. And there was a little two-minute special report and uh, they summarized what the F uh, FDA had approved to treat them. And I thank God that they did approve it. And it's an absolute miracle. For those of you that are suffering from essential tremors, it's an absolute miracle. So, so my story is a successful one and, and very excited to see the advancements that uh, have come about in the industry to treat them. So, Steve, do you live in New York? Where do you actually live? Yeah, I live in Long Island, New York, in Rockefeller okay. Center. Yep. Good. So, I, it sounded, I, I thought that you were in New York. And then tell us a little bit about then your whole adventure with Dr. Michael Caplet, if you will. That's, that's an interesting part of the story. Yeah, so it, it's fascinating. Um, first of all, some high-level data for your audience. I believe there's about 20 centers in the United States that have bought the technology and that are implementing the procedure. There was one in New York, Wild Cornell Medical Center, and there was one doctor performing the procedure. His name was Dr. Michael Caplet. And in my view, he's, he's an absolute rock star, a real, real leader in, in his craft, along with his other uh, peers throughout the country performing the procedure. But once I saw the news report, <laughs> the next morning I called his office and I said, hey, I saw the news last night. How do I hear more? And uh, they said, well, you can schedule a consultation. And I said, well, sign me up. And they said, now you are aware that this is not covered by your healthcare. It's still in the eyes of the healthcare industry, quote unquote, experimental, even though it is FDA approved. I said, I'm not looking to go on that list. I'm looking to go on the list where, where I can come in. <laughs> and they quickly put them out. So I called uh, the hospital. Uh, they scheduled me for a consultation. My consultation was March 7th of uh, 2017. And I had the procedure March 27th, 2017. So just three weeks later, they ran some tests on me. They ran a CAT scan because you have the consistency of your skull has to be such that it can take the treatment. And the treatment itself was oh, after my hour or hour and 15 minute consultation with Dr. Caplet, I was very much at ease that this was uh, certainly beyond the experimental stage. Others had had it. I think the FDA had 56 clinical trials in the United States. That was all behind us at the time of my consultation. He was starting to perform it for paying customers. And after an hour and 15-minute conversation, I was comforted to know that I was in good hands and I was going to go down the path to have this procedure. That is fantastic. You know, it does sound a little scary. 
I'll have to tell you that. Now, you may not have been scared, but I'm telling you, if I were in your shoes, I think I would have been scared because the whole concept of high-frequency ultrasound, and I'm, I'm imagining because I don't know a thing about how this works, but I imagine those wa brain, uh, the waves are coming through your brain, mm -hmm. which you did hint at when you're talking about doing the MRI and all that sort of thing. So yeah. tell us a little more how to diffuse our concerns and anxiety about that, what, what it's all about. Yes, yeah, sure. So this is a wonderful procedure that came out of Israel. Uh, I think it was born in 2012, 2013. So Europe was ahead of the United States by about three to four years. And by the way, ahead of us by about 700 patients, which was goodness. But essentially, if you marry together two technologies, one, an MRI machine, and number two, a machine that will emit ultrasound waves. And in this case, they emit those ultrasound rays out of a helmet. And essentially, they put, they tack sort of a frame around your head and they lay you down and you get rolled into an MRI machine as if you were getting work, an MRI on your, on your skull or your chest. And that frame gets fitted with this helmet and out of the helmet comes a thousand ultrasound rays from all different directions within the helmet. And all of those rays descend on the same spot, those cells on the brain that cause the tremor. And when that happens, heat forms. And essentially, it eradicates or it singes those cells in the brain. And four hours later, three hours later, you get up from the MRI machine and the condition has been eradicated. You no longer have tremors. Now, I know you're not a neurologist and I'm not either, okay? So I'm going to ask you a question you may not know the answer to, but I know a little bit about brains because I've looked at brains for a while. Did they tell you what area of the brain it was? Is it, is it the basal ganglia that they were trying to, they were taking a shot at? Did they tell you? The thalamus. Thalamus, okay. Right. The cells in the thalamus, they know exactly where they are. They control movements in your body. And in this case, they perform the procedure. The FDA has only approved one side of the brain. So in my case, my tremors were more pronounced, and this will be the case with your listening audience, in one side of the body versus the other. In my case, it was the left hand. So they, they performed the procedure on the right-hand side of the brain. That is very, so it's cross-dominant. Yes. But that's an interesting point because then they're shooting the radiation through your brain from all different angles, but they know how to focus it on that particular, and they use the MRI to make sure they got it uh, dialed in exactly correctly. Like perfectly. So, yeah. So the MRI they use to aim and the ultrasound they use to treat. And the individually, the ultrasound waves pass through the brain and the skull harmlessly. But when all thousand rays descend on the same spot, then it forms heat. And it's the heat that they use to address those cells and that eradicate the condition. So do you feel any pain? That's a key question I'm sure some people are thinking about. No. No, you don't. It's no pain yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> you get a little bit of a buzz, but <laughs> I've gotten buzzes before. And what they do is they crank up the heat with each application. So they slide you in and out of the machine in about 15-minute intervals, and they'll turn up the heat of the ultrasound gradually as you go. And the doctor is looking at a screen a computer screen of the diagram or, or the sketch of your, of your brain. So he's pointing it that way. And then every 15 minutes, they kind of wheel you out and they give you a pen and a clipboard and you trace consecutive circles or lines. And there you're seeing the tremors actually calm down real time in between each session, if you will. So that circle is really measuring your motor skills. 
exactly which is right. really your control of your arm and your fingers, which is where the problem is. Exactly right. That's amazing, isn't it? Oh, it is just, it's a wonderful uh, merging of two technologies. And they have to know that, or the audience needs to know that prior to this, the procedure to treat essential tremors were very invasive. They had to you know, drill a hole in your head and they had to put a probe down there and almost do what they're doing now in a non-invasive way, in an invasive way. So when this procedure came out, to me, invasive was the op- uh, or non-invasive was the operative word. Once you tell someone, okay, we're going to go mess with you this way, but doing it in a non-invasive, non-invasive way, what it turned into an option for me, whereas prior to that, I would not have opted into the invasive methodology. Well, it sounds so much, and I'm an innocent as you were going into it, but it sounds like the invasive way is like a one-time cross your fingers and hope you get it right, whereas it sounds like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the non-invasive way is in a way what we do with medications, a titration strategy. You do it and you see where you are, you do it where you see where you are, you have a sense of progress and timing and you demarcate what you're doing more carefully as opposed to, I'm going in, boom, it's done, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, really, really good point and certainly best left to the expert, Dr. Kaplan, to explain, but as he explained it to me, that's the part that I, I kind of like. He says, listen, I know where the thalamus is. I know where the cells in the brain that cause a tremor are. I'm going to go in on the edge of it, and I'm going to turn up the volume a little bit on the ultrasound, and I'm going to do session one, and we're going to test you after that. And then we're going to go in and go a little bit deeper and a little bit wider, and we're going to go to session number two. And it builds and builds and builds, and there's about, let's call it 10 sessions. But each time, they're gradually going after a larger portion of the cells and getting more pointed with the heat that they apply. So it's about session four, five, or six where you say, holy mackerel, I draw the lines and I, I, have no, I no longer have tremors in that hand. So they do some cleanup there, but they absolutely do a, a test an area before they go deeper and then turn up the heat. And, and with that, you're in the hands of the subject matter experts to make sure they do it to the extent that they need to and do it in the right doses, if you will. Okay, so the next question, which I'm sure is on everybody's mind, is what's the post-op? So do they do anything with you? Do they tell you you got to come back next Saturday? Do you, yeah, yeah, we'll see you in two years for a redo. What, what's the uh, post-op? So know that the patient can choose to take a sedative or not. Being in an MRI machine for three to four hours is not for everybody. Okay. But I did not take a sedative because I wanted to be the most responsive patient I could be to the doctor. So when I got off the table from the MRI machine and I stepped down on the stool, they handed me a cup of water and I held that cup of water with my left hand and put it to my mouth and I drank it for the first time without tremoring. And I had to do a double take. I just couldn't believe it. So the first uh, response to your question is immediately after the procedure, it was phenomenal, the results. I just couldn't believe it. Now, there are a couple of side effects, but those side effects only last about two to three weeks. Remember, they're messing with your motor skills in your brain. So your gross movements, in my case, on the left side, my arm from my body and my leg as I walked up steps. If I were to walk down an aisle, your arm naturally falls by your side. But in this case, it's kind of floating in the air a little bit. The analogy is if you've ever swung a bat with a metal donut at the end of it, you take the donut off, and all of a sudden that bat feels very light. Well, that's what happens with your limbs on the left side. I it got feels, you. Yeah, it's yeah. still kind of very light. But the symptoms only last for about two weeks. I guess the brain gets retrained. Your motor skills sort of re-engage and kick back in. And that was the extent of the side effects. And think about that compared to what the procedure, the invasive one that was performed for many years. They're implanting a, a sensor in your chest, almost like a... Uh, 
cardiac pacemaker. Kind exactly. Of. And they run a wire to your brain and that sends volt. You know, I mean, it's really, when you compare the side effects of this, which, which I thought were minor, minor trade-offs compared to the former procedure, to me, and I hate to use the pun, it was a no-brainer to have the procedure. <laughs> was, yeah, I was put at ease very quickly when I understood all the potentials coming out of the procedure. Now, all the golfers are thinking about this next question. Did you go back to playing golf? And has your game changed? Oh, dude. I mean, <laughs> so I, I play golf and I'm, I'm a competitor. I'm a single digit and played in tournaments. And, and I got it down. Probably my low is about a four, five, three in that range. And that doesn't mean that all your listeners out there need to be good golfers. That's not what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. But anyone who's a 14 handicap that goes to the first tee and has to deal with tremors, it's a lifesaver. Okay. My handicap went up to a nine. And I had trouble competing at that because if you put a short putter in my hand, I couldn't draw it back without shaking, and I certainly couldn't strike the ball without shaking. Remember, the left hand is the dominant hand for a righty in the golf swing. So if you're pulling the club down, in the case of the driver and an iron, you're pulling the putter down with your left hand. And I actually went to a long putter just to get my left hand off the putter. I, I couldn't putt. So I, so I made some adjustments along the way. First thing I did after the procedure, I went home and I put a short putter in my hand <laughs> and I sent the video to Dr. Kaplan. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I could putt again. And to me, I could play again. So I may not be exaggerating when I say this. For an essential tremor sufferers, this procedure is a miracle. For a golfer who has essential tremors, this is a reason to live. I'll tell you, I'm with you. That's why I asked the question, because I thought that would be an absolutely germane point. It just changes your life entirely. Exactly. I mean, if, if you don't hit the driver well on Sunday, why go to work on Monday? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know I, again, I may be exaggerating, but I don't think by much. Yeah, yeah. It's either part of your life that way or it's not. And if it's not, some people wouldn't understand that because they're not golfers. Right. But right. it's the same thing. It doesn't matter really if you're a golfer or a fly fisherman. If a guy has a certain level of skill set that brings him a certain level of satisfaction with coordination and getting it right. You don't want to be out there in the stream dropping the, the fly rod in the water when the salmon's on just because you can't hold the doggone fly rod. You know? Exactly right. So it's, it's the same wherever you happen to be, and it's fine. I think the thing that's really very provocative and interesting about it is that it is a fine tremor, but that is so referential to so many macro things that we do, so many large, important life and developmental things that you do that just getting that little piece it isn't so little anymore. It's a big deal. Oh, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, I've spoken to a bunch of people now being connected to this tremor universe, but there was an artist. <laughs> Could you imagine being an artist and having essential tremors? Oh, my gosh. You know, to hold the brush, to hold your hand with the other hand so you can hold the brush in the one hand is the workaround, right? But even a businessman, I spoke to someone else that couldn't put the mouse, the computer mouse, in his hand and get it centered and stable to the point where they can click it. And as such, they couldn't operate a computer. And the beat goes on. I, like I said, I could be in a, in a situation at a customer dinner and I no longer have to be embarrassed. I used to be prescriptive on what I ordered because the last thing I want to do is have a knife in one hand and a fork in the other and be tremoring away out and trying to cut the meat. Yeah, yeah. So even in common situations across many professions, across many social engagements, this procedure is a, uh, a life-changer. It really is. Well, what we're going to do, uh, I really appreciate your coming to our group here, our audience, and coming to Corp Ranger. We're going to, uh, we have scheduled, we, I, hadn't, I don't think he's scheduled yet, you asked me before we got started, but we're going to have Dr. Caplet on. 
and we're going to have the reference for the Wild Cornell Medical Brain and Spine Center on this show notes, folks. If you're listening and you're out in your car in Tuscaloosa, we'll we'll have it on the show notes when you get back. And I think it's really important to follow up. We'll have some references there. So that will be every one of these uh, show notes. We try to bring uh, sufficient good peer-reviewed evidence instead of sounding like we're on the fringe. It's clear that Stephen Smith has seen the approval and he's seen the, the work done by other people. And the point, point is, it isn't for everybody to necessarily go to Wild Cornell Medical Center, but there are 26 centers. You said, would you say 26 centers around the United States that are doing it? And it's a very provocative, it's where talk technology does change the way we deal with brain. And if we think about that and we think about the options that are there, the implications are phenomenally great. A lot of things come to mind because I'm wondering about other things like minor seizure disorders and so on. I don't know if, did he, did you wind up talking with him about that at all? Actually, Dr. Kaplan will spread some uh, light on that. They do feel Parkinson's, they could get more pointed with how they deliver the medication to your brain via this procedure. So it's opening up a whole new area for them to go and treat other brain disorders with the either delivery of medication, or in this case, the actual um, the targeted ultrasound uh, treatment of, of the brain that controls movement. So there's, there's so many advancements. It's so wonderful to see. And it's so life-changing, it's remarkable. So it's, it's great to see. Well, I certainly, for one, appreciate you coming on board, Stephen. I mean, you are a very articulate guy. I mean, I could probably listen to one of your sales pitches because you're so <laughs> articulate. I mean, I don't care what you're talking about. Just go ahead and tell me about it. It's probably going to be interesting. <laughs> but you do a good job. You really do a good job. And I think it's very, very helpful that you would take your time, your evening to come out and say, hey guys, this is what happened to me. I think it's really a strong compliment to the where you come from on a deeper level. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. We're all part of this fraternity and there's reason for hope. So for all those reasons, you know, I'm happy to do this, this sort of communication. Something comes up along the way and you have a second thought about something else you think we need to know about, give us a call. We'll be happy to have you back on. It's been a very interesting conversation. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks for leading the conversation here, Doctor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Corebrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.